Well, thanks for being with us in worship today. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, if you would, please. And it's, uh, you can see the page numbers depending on what auditorium you're in here in the West and in the East. Welcome to church. To those of you who are worshiping with us at the church in Lovington, we're very glad you're with us as well. Grab a Bible, if you will, please, and we'll turn to John 14. Guests, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm very glad you're with us today. I want to I begin our time together uh, by telling you of, of a fascinating struggle that recently took place in a Boise ni- neighborhood in Idaho um, in August. A bunch of goats, uh, later on we learned it was 118, 118, 118 goats literally ate their way through a Boise neighborhood. They were uninvited. It was problematic, it was shocking, it was disturbing, it was unwanted. The Washington Post reported it this way. The goats turned up early one Friday morning in a residential neighborhood on the western side of Boise, Idaho. Can you imagine if goats showed up on your street, 118 of them? What would they do? I mean, what do they eat? Tin cans and everything down the list from there, right? There were dozens of them, according to the man who brought this news to the world via Twitter. TV reported Joe Paris, KTVB in Boise, Idaho. Some had ear tags, which would, he said, indicate that they might be, ready, livestock on the lamb. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. You ready? Okay. Photos from the scene indicated they were doing what goats do, busily eating, in the process, stripping rose bushes, eating the ivy off the trees, and they were mowing lawns. If your neighborhood got hit, if this was your neighborhood, you didn't have to mow the lawn that week. Okay, they were eating, and they were eating fast, Paris said. The animals moved from yard to yard, this was his language, like they had an itinerary. Well, when I saw that story, I thought, this is hilarious, it's, except if it's your yard. But if it's not your yard, who are we kidding? I mean, I've got compassion and passion, but humor wins over that any day. So there you go. All right, so, uh, just a lovely pastor, isn't he? But there you go. So pay attention. I went out, we found a clip of um, what took place. Take a look at this. We have a developing story, an unusual story to report. We've now learned goats, a lot of them, are causing quite a scene in a Boise neighborhood. Our Joe Paris is live in the middle of it this morning. Joe, what is going on? Well, Doug, I'm trying to stay out of the way because they're actually moving all their way down uh, the street here in this neighborhood off of Five Mile in Boise. I'll show you, though. They're right now just having a nice morning snack in someone's front yard. Look at that tree. And this has been going on for, I've been told by some neighbors, look at the roses. Maybe 45 minutes. And you can see that this is just a bunch of goats that showed up in this neighborhood here this morning. I talked with some neighbors. No one's exactly sure where they came from. Uh, Animal control is here. They initially showed up with one truck. And they realized very quickly that wasn't going to be enough. I've tried to take count here. There's probably 75 goats, maybe a little bit more here. They're actually scattered throughout uh, this street down here in Boise. And again, no one knows exactly where they came from. Some of them do have tags on their ears, so I'm sure they'll be able to find their home pretty soon. But for now, they're just going yard to yard, eating everyone's front lawn. I talked to one neighbor who said, well, it's, it's not great, but this way I won't have to act mow my lawn this morning, but Doug, we're going to stick with this story all morning. We're going to see exactly how this develops. Pretty interesting sight here in a Boise neighborhood. Oh my, Joe, yeah, they are eating a lot of stuff. That rose bush they're eating is going to be gone in no time. We'll follow this today on kpb.com and here on 7. Eating like they had an itinerary. Now when KTVB 
Um, put this on the web. This is how they put the headline. New kids on the block. <laughs> oh, right, terrible. It emerged after the fact that these goats weren't just your ordinary goats. They weren't just goats that somebody had. These were professional goats versus the amateur kind. These are professional goats who are, they are owned by an operation called We Rent Goats. According to the website, their goats do this. They can remove noxious weeds from fields, from acreage, from pastures, open spaces, ditches, ravines, embankments, and now they can add from your rose garden as well. But there you go. So here's what happened. The crew, the professional goats, had been working overnight in a nearby drainage ditch area when at some point just before sunrise they broke out of a temporary fence and with that began their adventure moving into the neighborhood and imagine if that was your house. Okay, by 8.30 in the morning the animals have been corralled and herded into a we rent goats truck. You know, you can rent college kids to move. You can rent goats to eat. I guess whatever the case was. And there they were eating breakfast and planning on lunch. I love the whole idea, except I wouldn't love it. There wouldn't be any humor in it, I don't think, if it was your rose bush and your trees that they were stripping. And I, when I saw that, I thought, that is such a metaphor for how sometimes we are with this question. Who's been eating your lunch of late? Uninvited, shocking, disturbing, and unwanted. And you go to the refrigerator, and it's not there. You open up the refrigerator of life, and you're, somebody's already... Uh, you know that feeling, right? What are you going to do about it? When, for that matter, what are you going to do about all of life's struggles when, I mean, I know people in all three rooms here today who are facing all sorts of issues. And when problems come up in life or in love, in work, at work or at school or in the neighborhood, at the house, how do you bring wisdom and how do you bring a solution to that uh, moment where he goes, somebody is eating at my rose bushes and I don't want them to. Well, let me just say, you're here in church, right? Is there any wonder then the fellow up front, the preacher of the church says, well, God has a solution. That's not a surprise, is it? And I can tell you what the solution is, as Jesus put it, if we're going to look at a story of Jesus uh, where, well, it's very late in Jesus' earthly ministry. He's got his disciples together, beginning in John 14 through the next few chapters of the Gospel of John. It's for his final word with his guys before he steps into what we know will be his execution. He knows his death is imminent, as we're about to read. He knows it's there. His disciples do not. And this is what he is saying to them, if you will, in his final word to them, even though they don't realize it. He says to them, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 28. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm, and I'm coming back to you. If you'd love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You should be thrilled that I get to do something that's really good for me, but you're kind of panicked about the fact that I'm leaving. So now, what's going to happen as a result of that? If you'll back up to verse 25, you'll see his solution to their problem. The advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you the kind of peace that the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And so I would suggest to your friends, if you're in a situation where the goats have showed up on your front lawn, 
and all misery is breaking out around you and you got 118 people or 118 situations in your face, you'd kind of be like, like the disciples. You'd like to pray, Jesus, come and save me from this mess. And that's exactly how the disciples responded. I'm leaving, Jesus says, and they go, what? What? What, you're leaving right now? Don't you know, Jesus, we've been working at this, we've been working to get you to Jerusalem. We've now got you here. We've been pushing at this for a long time, years, Jesus. And now at the cusp, when there's this kind of, this crisis that's in front of us, what, you're leaving? You shouldn't be leaving now. See, you got to understand where, where God is going with this and what's going on. Apparently, Jesus knew that the disciples and us in proxy, he knew that from time to time we'd find ourselves in a mess. And he said, in the middle of a mess, I would like to be with you, but I can only be with one, I'm in a human body. I can only be with one person at one time. And if I'm in Jerusalem, I can't be in Decatur, Illinois. If I'm in the year zero or 33 AD or whatever the year is, I can't be in 2018 as well. So I'm leaving so that the work of God is no longer confined to where I can be physically. But now the Holy Spirit will be right beside you, giving you peace. And I don't even need to be with you because the Holy Spirit will help you. And I, here's my conviction. At times, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the church, Christians, seem to have become quite confused about this Holy Spirit business. You know, we can figure, we even sang about it today, Right? I, you know, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. And then we go, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Holy Ghost. Is that Casper? Or is, what is that? Who, where, what is that all about? If you grew up in church, maybe some of you did, you sang the doxology every week, right? Do you know it? If you do, would you sing it with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, what I, what I find fascinating in this matter is that a lot of us know that song. <laughs> Praise God for, we love, for home all blessings flow. We like that. Praise him, all the people in heaven. Praise Father. Praise the Son. And then we've, we've got this thing, the Holy Ghost. We understand God the Father, God in heaven. We understand Jesus, his Son, walking the earth for some 30 or more years. But then we get to the Holy Spirit and we suddenly lose our way. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, friends, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit much more than you realize. For example, many years before Jesus' ministry came along, you have in the Old Testament, in the story of Israel's existence, ancient Israel, you have all these incredible moments when the Holy Spirit would show up and do some really cool things. Joshua chapter 3, here's the story. The nation of Israel has been wandering out in the wilderness for some 40 years. They've left, they've left Egypt they're on the way to the promised land. They sort of know where it is, but in the meanwhile, they've wandered around and traveled here, there, and everywhere through the desert and the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. And at the end of 40 years, do you know what happens? Of all the things that could go wrong, Moses, our leader, dies just as we're on the cusp of moving in to the promised land. Our, 
he's dead. What are we going to do? So there's a, sec, a guy in, in second place. His name is Joshua. This question is, he gonna, is does he have the leadership? Does he, does he have what it takes to lead our nation? And particularly right now, and you can imagine Joshua. Moses dies and passes off the leadership baton, and, and he's got to go, man, could we wander around for another 40 years? That'd be kind of easier than, I got to get all these people into the promised land. And they're, they're, to get to the promised land, we got to cross this huge river. It's called the Jordan River. And there's a lot of things that we got to get across. So we got to get our animals. We got to get our kids. We got to get our tents. We got to get everything on the other side there, including all our worship stuff. And they used to have this thing called the tabernacle, which is a really big tent. And inside the tabernacle, they had all these religious artifacts, including in the inside room, something called the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe you know about this box if you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is not a biblical story, but you get an idea of what this thing might be like. And Scripture says that whenever the people of God uh, put that box inside the tent, that the presence of God, the Spirit of God, would come down out of heaven, would actually rest right between the wings of the cherubim on top of the box. And here they are at the end of their nation. They've got to get all that across the river. And here's a problem. We're going to read in Joshua 3, where as they arrive there and as he's got the baton, and if I, can I, if I got the leadership mm, gravitas to get them there, they get there, and to make matters worse, the river is in flood stage. How are we going to get from here to there, one side of the, to the other side? Joshua chapter 3 says this, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. This is Joshua speaking, his first big leadership move. Can I get everybody to do this? As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the water, it's Jordan's flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So somewhere upstream from us, there's gonna be some sort of dam or whatever, they're gonna stand right there and then everything's gonna be dry. Will everybody do what Joshua suggests as the Ark of the Covenant hits the water. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great, in a heap a great distance away, long way upstream at a place called Adam. While then the water kept flowing down past they were, down to the Dead Sea and was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now why did that happen? Why were they able to say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna have these priests step their feet into the water and everything's gonna dry out. Why was that? Well, they, that's because the presence of the Lord was there, the spirit of the Lord was there and they couldn't see the miracle taking place upstream. They couldn't see the pile of water that had gathered up at Adam. And here's the lesson. Without God's spirit and the Ark of the Covenant there, the flood waters would have won the day. Without God's spirit, they wouldn't have entered the promised land. But with God's presence there, the flood waters were held at bay and the miracle of dry lands all became possible. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit brings God's presence to us. The right there, that very moment, the presence of God was right there. And it's my observation, friends, that there are times when miracles 
need to be able to brought into our lives. We need them. And there are times and places where God is working upstream from where we stand right now. And we can't simply, it's just simply that we can't see the process in the middle of this very scary moment. And we wonder how, how we're going to get from here to there. And frankly, uh, this is not some insight that I gained myself, but this came up in a discussion with Lori Putnam, one of our staff members. She's responsible for, she's kind of like the project person we have on staff. If we've got to start something new or really work on something, we ask Lori to take it on. And uh, I, she and I were chatting about this in a group one day, and as this came up this week, I thought, you know, you need to hear from Lori about how Lori and her husband, Mark, learned about God's Spirit moving upstream from where they were. So, Lori, if you'd join me on stage here, if you will, please. Because I know um, you guys have had this really powerful moment take place a number of years ago. Maybe you can tell everybody what it's about. Yeah, we did. Well, um, <clears throat> my husband and I had been married for a while, and um, over a course of time, learned that we had some fertility issues, uh, which I'm sure maybe some of you sitting here have experienced, or maybe somebody close to you has uh, walked through that. Um, they're very um, difficult uh, circumstance uh, to walk through fertility issues, but that's where we were. And uh, we kind of figured out and felt early on that adoption would be part of our story. Um, and we're you know, ready for that and open to that, but um, the weird kind of thing that happened is that we were both kind of on, on different pages, different timetables, like I would be ready and you know, wanting to research and talk to some agencies and he wouldn't be ready. And then it would switch. He'd be ready, he'd be raring to go, wanting to you know, how to get that ball moved forward and I, I wouldn't be. And it just kind of kept happening like that. We never, we, we just didn't get in sync. And then finally we kind of woke up and realized oh my goodness, we're 40. <laughs> and um, it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this plan that we kind of thought um, was gonna be God's uh, plan for us, maybe that wasn't the case. Uh, maybe we would have children in our lives, but just not in our home. And so then it was kind of a process of coming to peace with that. And um, a couple years um, went by and I was part of a prayer group um, so you, ladies, let me interrupt. Yeah. You're assuming that you're not going to adopt. Yeah, we, we had just kind of thought, well, that's kind of what our plan was, and maybe that really wasn't God's plan. And um, so we were really kind of exploring what is God's plan and coming to peace with that. And I was part of a prayer group, a group of ladies um, from the church that lived, you know, kind of in the same area. We just started getting together and praying for one another and uh, got really close. And uh, of course, they knew um, the sadness and the pain that Mark and I had in, um, in um, suffering with fertility issues. And um, one day, one of the ladies came and uh, one of the prayer requests that she had was for a young lady that she was familiar with, um, had an unplanned pregnancy. And I remember her just, just asking us, you know, please pray that she will choose life for this baby. And um, I remember clearly praying for that young lady that day. Um, and, and, you know, crying out to God that he would uh, help her see how precious this baby was and that uh, this baby um, uh, should, you know, come to full term and, and have life. Um, well, then a little while after that, it uh, wasn't too awful long, this friend called me and asked me if I had remembered that day praying for, for that young lady. I was like, yeah, absolutely, I remember. And she was like, well, she did choose life. And not only that, she decided that she wants to do an adoption plan with this baby. I told her about you and Mark and she wants to meet you. And I about fell on the floor um, because you know we kind of felt like that ship had sailed. What was that like, that meeting? Um, the meeting was surreal. 
She was 17, she and her mom were there, and then our mutual friend was there, and we sat at a table right over here at Olive Garden, mm -hmm. and she interviewed us. Um, you interviewed? Was, she interviewed us, yes. Um, it was just a very uh, weird experience. I can only imagine what the tables around us thought was going on, but I remember being really impressed with the questions that she asked um, that revealed what was important to her and what she was looking for, and, um, so anyway, um, we, we left that meeting, um, trying not to be too excited, to be honest. Um, and then a uh, short time later, it was just within a couple weeks, she and her mom came to our house and um, you know, we talked you know, some more and she looked at Mark and I in the eye and she said, um, I've decided that I want you to parent this baby. Uh, this baby is going to be yours. Uh, I am in 110%, I am not going to change my mind. And um, I just was floored um, that she had come to that conclusion and that she said that and that, that she had selected us. And so then it started a process of um, legally, you know, trying to become a family and walking through that. And she was true to her word. She never changed her mind. She never wavered. Um, however, it took us over three years to get the adoption finalized. Because, Why is that? Um, the uh, birth father did not um, have that same, um, I would say, um, determination. Um, we would meet and he would be on board and realize that adoption was the, best, was the best plan for everyone. And then he would change his mind and, and really didn't want to- Was he engaged at all? He was not. He was not. Um, he um, did not indicate to us that he wanted to be a daddy and be involved in this little guy's life. Um, so we had to wait, and um, during that period of waiting, we had three different attorneys tell us this adoption's not going to happen, it's not gonna be finalized. And I can remember the first time that we heard that from, from our first attorney, and um, I remember just breaking down and just sobbing. Um, you know, my heart was broken. And I remember saying out loud, but God is good, and God finishes what he starts. And, you know, she didn't have anything to say. So uh, Wade is at the house. He was with us. Yeah, he came home from the hospital with us. We had him from day one, and we were never apart. For three years, for you don't know. For three years, but we didn't know if we were going to be a family. I mean, when we took him home from the hospital, we didn't know if we'd have him for a week, a month, three years, one year. We didn't know. Was that um, hard? It was, it was awful at times, Yeah. There was, uh, what I can say is there was kind of like this roller coaster of emotion on the top where you know, there would be joy in knowing that a baby was coming, finding out that he was a boy, uh, being there for the birth, taking him home. There were points of joy and then just honestly terror and just fear. But even though the, those surface emotions happened and was kind of a roller coaster, I can honestly say that at the core, Mark and I both just felt a peace um, that we could only attribute to the Holy Spirit's presence in us. Um, we, we knew that he called us into this messy adoption situation. Um, we knew that he was there with us and it, it gave us peace when everything around us, you know, the, the legal experts, everybody was saying, um, you know, this isn't gonna happen and maybe even looked foolish, which um, one of the things that I love that God did was that we became a forever family on April Fool's Day. 
which I think is amazing. Who, you, know, that, you can't write, you can't make this stuff up. Only God would do that. He took a situation that looked really foolish to the outside, and I'm sure we did. We you know, took this baby home from the hospital and didn't know what was gonna happen. Um, but I love how God used April Fool's Day to remind us, no, you do something foolish that looks foolish to everybody else. You step out in faith. You go in the water where I call you to go and I'm gonna be faithful and see it through. And that's exactly what happened for us. Can you thank Lori for such a great story? So uh, one of the things that from the, from, I, I call, his, his name is Wade. And uh, I call him waders, and I like the fact he wades into the water with waders. But nonetheless, uh, from the first few days that he, you know, first week or so that he was uh, in their house, they would bring him to worship. And uh, that very first week that he was here in this room, at the end of the service, we had prayer with that nuclear, that family that we didn't know if it was going to be a family. And we left, Les and I left them here at the front of the room. Uh, to just spend some time together. And uh, as we walked away, Leslie snapped this photo. I want you to see this photo of this young family just saying, okay, this is us before you, God. And they, you know, you got a three-year run on this to figure out how this is gonna work out, but we're gonna trust you in the middle of it. See, here's what I know, friends. Jesus says, in John chapter 14, he says there's, there's peace in the midst of all that stuff and all that weirdness. It says this, John 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And, 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 and then without a breath, it's like without saying, okay, now do you want to think about that for a minute, about you're going to be taught all things? And he just keeps carrying on, says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. He's, it's fascinating. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to do my work, and in the same breath, he's talking about peace, and that's what the presence of God right in our lives brings peace to us. And notice that that peace is significantly different than what the world gives. I mean, when we say the presence of God brings peace, we say it's a peace that originates not within ourselves, but within God's presence. Right, It's like standing right beside Jesus, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the gift of Jesus Christ is this, we don't have to manufacture this peace. And by the way, there's something else that the Spirit gives us when we are walking in that sense of God's right here, right here. Jesus made it quite clear that his followers would have this tremendous power, that his followers, would, that we would experience the Holy Spirit through great power. And here's what I mean. This passage in John that we've been looking at today is at the very last hours of Jesus' earthly life before he dies. And it's his last meeting, if you will, with the disciples. But then he dies, and he goes in the grave, and he resurrects three days later. And then for the next seven weeks or so, he hangs out with his disciples, this resurrected body. And we have some stories and some words that he said to his disciples in the weeks after that. For example, in one, on one occasion, in Acts chapter, eight, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, This Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes... When the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will, be, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses with power in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when, when, when that word power there 
in Greek, the word is dunamos, which is where the word we get dynamite. What does dynamite do? It explodes. And the sense is that when you're walking with the Holy Spirit right there, you walk into situations, you walk into the river, you walk into the mess, you walk into the flood stage and you say, this Holy Spirit is, is going to be right here and I'm going to have a transformational impact upon all the people around me, upon the mess, upon the crud, upon the adoption that hasn't happened yet, upon the baby that hasn't been born yet, upon the career that's not established yet, upon the, what classes am I going to, all that. You're going to have the Spirit of God there bringing about a transformation. Think about how the church has transformed the world. Individual Christians, working with other Christians. I mean, for example, slavery. Who abolished slavery? The church abolished slavery in both the British Empire and in the U.S. The modern education system, the fact that some of you are in school today or you went through school, whether it was last year or it was 50 years ago, that whole education system is in the invention of Christians, all the way through to universities. Universities were first designed for clergy. And Christians realized, hey, we've got to do more than clergy. We should educate everybody. You think about hospitals. Hospitals are the invention of the church. Primarily in the Middle Ages is when it became very popular. But you can go back through history. The first hospital, 225 AD. 225, common era. The church, the church in Corinth saw the plague taking place in their city and said, we're going to take care of the sick and the people who are dying. Today, one in, six, one in six hospital beds in our country are run by the church. Across the world, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, they operate 26% of the hospitals around the world. It's great stuff. Prisons. Up until the 1800s, prisons were barbaric. But a Christian woman by the name of Elizabeth Fry in the 1800s said, this is not right. She was followed along with it on, her, on her heels by a guy named Chuck Colson. And they demanded, they said, we're going to do things different in prisons and the way in which prisoners are confined and treated. And we're going to work to cut down recidivism. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit has called the church to step into all kinds of social ills, all kinds of, I mean, think about the whole abortion industry. Who is it that's holding that at bay? And who is it that's speaking life into young women and young men? It's the church. Situation after situation. In our own community, our congregation, joining with other congregations, we're stepping into places of poverty, stepping into places where kids aren't learning. We're stepping into places where people are sick in the hospital or crossing, I mean, crossing healthcare. The list goes on and on. Here's what I know, friends. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, it's better for us, I know this sounds really weird, it's better for us that Jesus went to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can be with you and me and the people across town and the people in Africa all at the same time. And then that Spirit of God is the one that brings peace to us. That Spirit of God is the one that brings us God's presence. And that Spirit of God is what enables us this very week to step into the muck Step into the situation where the goats are eating your rose bushes. And it's so personal. You planted them. God's there in the middle of that. Would you stand together and let's pray about it, please. Lord, for my friends here today, the West and the East in Lovington, I pray for my friends, Lord, that you would, you would enable us to be reminded again of the power of your Holy Spirit. 
that by, by saying that we want Jesus Christ to be the leader and forgiver of our lives, that we want him to be the Lord of our lives and to be the one who's in charge of us and that we want, we're relying on him for, us, for our eternal destination, the work he did at Calvary on the cross. All of that, God. We're, we're so thankful for what he did and in some strange way, the, the right language, I don't know, but we're thankful that he went to heaven because then the spirit of God, your spirit, is able to work in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we pray to you today that you would work with us. Lord, there are situations here today that have all kinds of muck and all kinds of mess, and there's situations where people have got flood stage all around them, and they're just hoping they can get their ankles into the water where the presence of God within them is going to change. And Lord, they're looking for a miracle that it's going to... It, it's, for some cases, Lord, it may have had to happen last week or the miracle was last month or it might have been a year ago and we're just still waiting for the dry ground to show up. Lord God, work within us accordingly, we pray. May this week be the week in which we see the dry, we see the dry ground. May this week be the week when we experience your presence in us to a profound way. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, if you're here today and you'd like to seal this moment, you'd like to say, hey, I'd like to, like to kind of just affirm the fact that the Holy Spirit is within me and is right beside me in the stuff I've got going on in all three rooms, here in the West, in the East, and at Lovington. There'll be somebody here who'd love to pray with you. They'll be at the front of the room. And uh, it, it, may be, it may be something small or it may be something, man, you don't know. The, the, the floodwaters are up over my, are over my head and I don't know how to get to the surface. Whatever the case, we'd love to pray with you. If you're not following Jesus yet, you go, man, I got to get this together. We'd love to see you. Join us here at the front of the room. There'll be leaders from our church who'll be glad to pray with you. You come as the worship teams in all three spaces lead us in worship.